Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. It's a drunken soiree in the within. Chris and Stu present Our Core Listing, the podcast. Okay, we are recording. Steve, how are you? I'm very well, thanks, Stu. Really well. I just got back from uh, holiday last night, so, yeah, all tanned up and ready to go. <laughs> love it. Uh, where, where did you go, Steve? I was in Mallorca, in Palma, Mallorca. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah, I had a couple of extra days there because my flight got cancelled. That little oh. French air traffic, so viva la nice. France. <laughs> oh, amazing! And did you did insurance cover those extra nights? Then did it as well? Because well, sometimes I was, I was kind of I've got a little place out there, so I didn't you know I didn't have to go to the hotel. Oh, sweet! But lots of people did, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, Steve, we got introduced. Um, uh, I, I got introduced to you by um, a, a mutual friend, Charlie, um, who uh, who I've worked with at the, at the toothbrush for for over thirty years, and um, and he said you need to speak to. Uh, my, my mate Steve, he's he's got a remarkable story, and uh, and we we spoke on the phone, and, uh, and and I thought it'd be really important. I know that you know you, you're looking to uh, to get involved in the world of podcasting as well, which is really exciting. Um, but what I want to do is is, is give the listeners of Hardcore Listing a kind of an insight into your story. So I, I think if we can kind of start at the very beginning, if you could sort of tell us a little bit about childhood and where, and, and where you grew up. Yeah, okay. So, uh, I mean, just, just to let the, the, the listeners know, I've got this this book out, which is based, you know, which I wrote a memoir. So that is basically the story. And it kind of spans from, from kind of early childhood, really, around about six. I, I kind of didn't have much kind of recollection before six, up until I was sort of 48 years old. And I'll I'll kind of talk you through that process as it as it comes out in the book. Obviously, uh, you know when I was when I was uh, I was born in Tottenham actually in Stamford Hill, and the old man was uh, was a taxi driver. My mum was uh, <coughs> she she was like you know I had two other kids, so I come into a family of uh, of two kids already. They'd moved to uh, Stamford Hill when my my nan. Who, who lived with my dad and got bombed out in the war in Christian Street in yeah, East London. Yeah. So literally, they got bombed out and wound up in in a room in Stanford Hill. And my dad bought a couple of a few years after the war, he wound up buying the the property there. So I was born in a house in in Stanford Hill, and my family was kind of mixed up. My mother was Jewish. My dad wasn't Jewish, but he had a Jewish stepfather. So it was all a bit of a mix, you know. And uh, and I, I came into there. I was like the youngest of the, of the three children. And yeah, I suppose, you know, I, I come into this world and at the time, obviously, I had no knowledge. And I have a great mm. deal of uh, recollection of my early childhood, a few bits and pieces. But I think I was quite a sensitive kid and you know, I, I was uh, coming to a world where there was no sensitivity. You know, mm. my family, like a lot of families at the time, really was was just you know just coming out of the war. So I think there was probably a whole generation or, or two or three generations of, of traumatized people in the world. Yeah, you know, uh, I certainly remember my dad telling me a story years later about you know getting 
caught in an air raid. And uh, this is this was just before he died, actually. But he got caught in an air raid when he was a kid with his stepfather. And it, it, they was over the other side of London, so they was over in Woolwich. And as they was on their way back, they got caught in the air raid. Was was sort of underground for the night. They come out, and, and I, my dad told me that all the uh, the buildings were gone. You know, the fires were everywhere. There was gas pipes burning everywhere, glass all over the place. And he said a bus coming, a red bus come along, like like normal, like nothing's happened. And uh, and he, him and his dad got on the bus, and, and his dad went to pay the bus driver, and the bus driver said, "No, it's okay." And at that point in the story, my old man choked up. I could see, you know, I mean, this he was like in his 80s by then, but I could see mm. that he had all that trauma in him still. You know, he had all that emotion in him. So that kind of gives me an idea of, of like, you know, the generations that I was born into. And uh, It's hard to imagine, isn't it, now, like for people to realise like your home's just bombed out and, you know, that's what Ukraine have had to go through, isn't it? Yeah. Just gone from normality to... You can't can't imagine the horrors that you know your dad had to see, and you know that whole generation of people, yeah, generation, absolutely, yeah. And and I think they was traumatized, but they just kept stum about it. You know, it was like mm. you had to get on with it. You know, the bombs falling around you, and you had to get on with it. So that was where I come into life. You know, in, into that environment, and and uh, my dad was a, a black cab driver. He was also a bit of an entrepreneur. You know, he, he was doing well, and he he, he sold that house in. Uh, in Stanford Hill, bought a lovely place in uh, Ilford. And uh, I was there till I was about, just before I was six. And then we moved to a pub in the East End in, in Shoreditch. And really that's where my kind of story of, of memory sort of uh, recollection starts. And so you grew up in the pub, Steve, like the, you, your old man bought the pub? He didn't buy the pub, unfortunately. It would have been nice if he would have bought the pub. <laughs> that would have been a nest egg right about 10, now, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> uh, no, so it was just the license scene. So we moved from really Ilford, which was a le- leafy suburb, and, you know, I had kind of nice friends, you know. I, I was always a bit of a rascal, really. I can remember kind of setting fire to <laughs> the next-door neighbour's drain when I was about five, you know, so... <laughs> I was, I was, you know, I was always going to be a bit lively yeah. anyway, yeah. No, no matter what happened to me. And uh, and in in the uh, in the pub, what happened in the pub was, you know, you you had kind of at the time this was like 1969, so at the time you had you had like villains in the pub, you know, people were drunk in that sort of area, mm. and and you had probably quite a few old Bill coming in and out at different times in the day, so. We should make it clear that, that, that Shoreditch was a very, very different place then to what it mm. is now. Oh, like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was a proper yeah. proper East End as, as it was, mm. you know. I mean, that's where the, the craze and, and, and a lot of villainy come out of there. And uh, actually, they, they went to the school that I went to uh, before, you know, a few, few years before I was there. But, yeah, so I kind of grew up in that environment and... Within a couple of years of, of being in the pub, you know, my dad was, he was doing well there and he turned it around. And, but he liked, he liked to drink, you know, he liked to drink and he had a card school going in the pub. So some of my early memories of just sitting around a table of him and, and him and his pals and, you know, there was all very sort of like business people or, or, or doing whatever they was doing. And, uh, you know, they laughed loudly, they dressed well, you know, they mm. had a presence about them, they all had a few quid and they'd be throwing money in, you know, gambling. And I was probably, you know, sitting sitting at the uh, table just absorbing all of this and absorbing all yeah. these people. And and there was one guy who'd, you know, he never counted his winnings, but if I was next to him, he'd put he'd pull, all, pull, pull all the money and pop over, push it over to me and kind of go, where did we get on, kid? You know, out the side of his mouth, it was that kind of setup. <laughs> so... You know, I, I had those my role models, really. And uh, But what was happening kind of on that was, you know, that life absorbed my mum and dad. Yeah. And, uh, and it pulled them apart and it pulled us, it pulled them away from us, you know. So if ever there was any kind of nurturing, which I can't really remember as a child, you know, it, it was going, it was like slipping away in that environment. Mm. And what I'd done was... My mum left when I was about eight years old. She kind of left the pub and one morning she just wasn't there. She was gone, you know, so, and uh, nothing was really said about it. 
You know, it was wow. just like mum's gone. You know, your mum's gone. Get on with it. So, so I oh, kind of. Hell. Sorry, go on. I just thought bloody hell. That's just yeah. Was that how was how did you process that, mate? Well, I processed it by pushing it down. Really, you know. As I said, I think I was looking back with hindsight. I was a sensitive kid, but there was mm. no room for sensitivity in that environment. Certainly, growing up around there. And, you know, I kind of went out in the flats and just got on with it. So I just, you know, found what I needed in the flats with my friends mm. and we was gambling and we was up to no good. And, you know, by kind of nine years old, I was fly pitching stolen shoes down Brick Lane. You know, so it was, uh, <laughs> it, was it was a typical East End childhood, I suppose. Uh, but the emotional side of it was, it was never discussed. It was never spoke about. I can remember feeling a lot of rage when that happened. I can remember sort of the process was that there was some some hurt there. There was there was feelings there that I really couldn't afford and and, and wouldn't have been wouldn't have been allowed. So you know that kind of turned into rage, and yeah. and and then I, I I destroyed some stuff. You know I broke some stuff up and it ex- expelled the rage. And then I just was quiet. And I think looking back, that sort of that set the bar for me, really. That set the bar of, of how I was going to get through life. You know, I was going to go out and I did. And I went out in the flats and I got involved in, in, in everything I got involved in. We used to gamble, we used to steal. Uh, you know, we, I was taking drugs, really, by, by about eight, nine years old as well. So wow. doing chemicals... Uh, Zoff was a cleaning chemical that one of the kids around the flat said. And I can remember we was out stealing. First time I went out with them, like proper stealing, we was in the Barbican estate in the city, city of London, just going around stealing the parcels and that that was left outside people's houses. Yeah. But I was taking this this cleaning fluid. I'm eight, eight years old, nine years old, and just didn't bat an eyelid at any of it. You know, whatever I had to do in life to feel okay and to fit in, that's what I done. You know, I didn't question any of it. And it would have been normal to you, effectively. It was normal, yeah. It was normal, yeah. Any did- kind of feelings that came up, really, no one spoke about feelings around that area. No, there was no. Did it? Did you feel that, like, you know, was you surrounded by other people that, you know, that were kind of probably in similar situations have come from broken homes and, and had grown up, you know, surrounded by, you know, villainy and, and, you know, opportunities to make a quick pan note. Like, was, you know, was the people that you was knocking about with kind of come from sort of similar sort of backgrounds and, and, and similar situations? Yeah, well, I, I, I knocked around with, with the kids from the Boundary Estate, so the, those kids out of the flats, and, and we was all, you know, I was I was kind of considered, because I lived in a pub, I was considered, like, to be a bit special, or, or, and, I, and I, I, I kind of picked up on that early on, and, yeah. and, and you know, when it would, when it come down to sort of selling that stuff down the lane, I was the one who held onto the dough, you know, because they thought I had a bit of business acumen, because yeah, yeah. I lived in a pub, <laughs> you know, and, and I sort of picked up on this, and... And it was, uh, yeah, it was just something that I developed, you know, just part of me. I, I think what happened was I I didn't really have, have a clue how to be or, or how to deal with any of this stuff, although I don't remember it consciously at the time, but I think unconsciously. I just was looking for whatever worked for me. And, yeah. You know, the camaraderie of being with those people, surrounding myself with those people, uh really worked for me and I, I seemed to be happy. You know, I seemed to be happy and a happy childhood. But you now in truth, uh, I mean, I don't know if I can swear on here, but in truth, I was Yeah, fucked. fill your boots. I was, yeah. I was fucked, uh, but I just didn't know it. And, no, yeah. And as, as, as that kind of life went on, uh, through my dad's kind of mismanagement, I suppose, of, of, of things at the pub we got, I'm sure we got evicted, you know. He, he didn't really say, but... We wound up with all our stuff in, in tea cases and, and the family got distributed. Me and my brother wound up with him and, and his girlfriend at the time uh, on the Broadwater Farm Estate in Tottenham. I don't know if you know the Broadwater Farm Estate. That's where they, they try to uh, chop that young uh, policeman's head off. Winston Silcott, yeah. yeah, yeah. With the uh, Keith Blakelock won it. That's yeah. right, yeah. So we was there a few years earlier. but So we went from Bethnal Green just there and... And I was, I got the sofa and, and, and my brother had, had the, the, uh, 
just an armchair and a, and a puffet. So by, I suppose we was 12 then. So we was like sofa surfing at 12 years old, really. When I look back, I mean, I didn't kind of consider it at the time. But no. yeah. when you look back, you think, you know, you know, I didn't even have a bed to sleep in at that age. But you just, like, you, like it, this comes on from like what your, the generations previous, that you just adjust to it and then you don't, you don't. You, you almost find a normality in that, and like you say, it's a, and some degree of un, like happiness. And then it's only when you look back, you're like, that was that was quite unusual to a lot of other people's stories and upbringings. But you you wouldn't know that, you know. And it has m- such an influence on your life and your trajectory, right? It does absolutely, yeah. And, and you don't. Uh, I never really looked looked up outside with the parameters of of my my own kind of. Uh, per, you know my own kind of perspective at the time, so mm. I was never one to to be questioning what was going on or what I was up to or why I was mm. up to it. Or you know, I just just got on with that sort of stuff. And but I did. There was, uh, I mean, we, we was there for six months or so, and then we wound up in uh, in, in Stoke Newington. And uh, my dad had got with an, another woman that he, he he knew from the pub, not not the one that we. We'd kind of been living with up in Tottenham, a different woman, and he was, uh, and he had a couple of couple of children, a couple of twins with her, and I can remember probably about fourteen. I, I was kind of coming out of school. I mean, I was, you know, I was on the wrong side, but I was a smart kid at the time, so it was like I knew how to conduct myself, I knew how to handle myself, I knew how to fit in really and not upset people. But we'd uh, <clears throat> we just just come out of school. And I'd seen a, a shop that looked like it had been sort of closing down, but and it looked like it was half ransacked. And, and we wound up going in there. It was a shoe shop just on Kingsland Road. Obviously, I don't know what had happened there, but we went in there and, and started bagging up shoes. And uh, all of a sudden, police pulled up across the road. I spotted them. I've shouted out, called the woman out, and, and I'm out. I'm, all, I'm on my toes, and uh, and the others got captured. But I jumped on the bus and I've gone home. But by the time I've got home, uh, in in we was living back in sort of Stanford Hill then. There's no electricity, and that was a, a normal sort of occurrence, you know. Even no gas or no electric, uh, it was a bit unmanageable with the bills, the old man. And, and quite often we didn't have any electric. And I got home, and the the twins was probably they might have been a year or, or maybe a little over a year or something like that. I, I was 15, so yeah, there was a year or so. And I walked into the house and it's in darkness and I can hear the, the two kids, you know, crying at the top of the house. So I'm shouting out for my dad's partner at the time and she was an alcoholic and, uh, you know, so it wasn't good. It wasn't a good situation. So there's no electric there. Mm. And I went upstairs. I could hear her shouting out to her, calling out to her. No answer. I thought, she's Sparko somewhere. So I got up to see the kids. So as I've opened their bedroom door, I'm just hit with the smell of shit just come at me like a wave. And the two boys are there, they're out of their cots, they got their nappies off, smothered in their own their own shit. It's all over the walls, it's over the carpets, and they come running towards me, you know, with little lit up faces. Like <laughs> I just had yeah. to hold them off, you know, and I could feel at that point, you know. Yeah. Emotion come up in me. But ไอ้ติ๊งกันแม่คือเนี่ยเราเดี๋ยวเอาไปแต่ชั่วโมงเราเอาไปเอาไปเอาไปเอาไปเอาไปเอาไปเอาไปเอาไปเอาไปเอา
kids like sort of like dependent on you, what well, else you yeah, do? Yeah, I, mean, I mean, it was I was I was that that was it. It was just me there, you know. It was just me, and uh, and they turned up the police. There was four of them, and by the time they turned up, it was literally pitch black in the in the place. I found a couple of candles, and I can remember going down, answering the door, and and they said to me, "Oh, you know." what's happening there's some babies here I said you better just come up and have a look because I don't know what to do here and as they kind of shone their torch beams up the stairs so I'm walking up the stairs ahead of them and somewhere as I was on that staircase like uh, just you know it hit me the the family life and and what my life was like it just hit me and it was like momentarily I was just fucking hell you know this is mad but it's just Everyday yeah. life, so I had to just get on with it. Nothing really happened down to that, you know. And uh, and we carried on until we got aimed out again. And, and life was like that, you know. So I was I was I was pretty much just going through life, and I wasn't a victim in any of that, you know. I was just surviving. I was you know sharp, and as I say, on the outside I dressed okay. From an early age, I was going down down uh, the West End and the lane, and you know I was wearing cashmere jumpers at sixteen. I was nicking whatever I needed. I, I found a way to get. You know, I always got what I wanted. And, and the, the, the thing is, at, at that formative age, Steve, you know, if I look back to when I was fourteen, fifteen. You know, I'm sitting there having a, a conversation with a careers officer, sort of weighing up like what I'm going to do with my life. And, you know, am I going to go out of college? Am I going to go and get a job? Like, what am I going to do? And, you know, having the sort of support network of, of, of family around you and, and, and things like that. I mean, there's none of that in your world at mm. this point. And, like, and that's, you know, that, that's terrifying. And these are formative years that, you know, I, I, I guess you know, building the very foundations of, of who you are and, and what, you know, what you're capable of. And, you know, if you've not got people actively encouraging you within the sort of education system and things like that, and you're, like you say, you're surviving, it's it's a, a, an incredibly tough start to, to life. And I'm, I'm, I'm curious to know, you know, it sounds like from such a young age, you had your street smarts. That was undeniable. And, and, and like you say, you, you was on, on, in regards to the sort of face of it, you was dressing well, you know, you was carrying yourself with confidence and, you know, at, you know for, for people looking, you know, towards you. Um, when you get to them sort of ages of like 17, 18, 19, when, you know, you start to, you know, have relationships, you start to kind of look at where your life's going to go and, and you know, and, and club culture starts to feature and, and all of the things that, that, that come with sort of turning, you know, 18 where, where your world opens right up. It sounds like you'd done most of this by the time you was like 10, 11, 12 yeah, anyway, which yeah, is, yeah. It's fast you know, which, which, is, which is harrowing. But You're can, providing for yourself. Yeah, yeah a, a, absolutely. Like, can, can you sort of... Give us a sort of an insight into you know when you reach that age of of, of possibilities, which is you know f- for most of us sort of like eighteen. Like, wh- where was your situation at that well, point? Steve? Eighteen. I mean, I did have once have a conversation with the careers officer, but they didn't know when I said I wanted to go into villainy. They didn't really have uh, any any solutions. It's <laughs> <laughs> frowned upon that, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra. And I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. 
Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I grew up fast. I mean, I, I, I didn't really have a childhood, you know. I kind of... I, 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 no. I really wanted to always be, you know, what I wanted to be was in control, really, because all the chaos that was going on around me, I didn't really understand it. But my only weapon against that was to try and control it. So, you know, by by the time I'm in 15, I was I was out in the pubs and clubs. I was selling pills and, and sulfate at 15 years old. So I was getting a few quid there. You know, I was getting what I needed, as in my self-esteem was, was being... Uh, compensated for or, or lack of it was being compensated for by being known and being popular you know so that's how I kind of uh, I mm. got got all the stuff that, that I that I might not have had you know when when I was developing I, I always found a compensation for it so I compensated for everything that I didn't have so by the time I was 18 I was uh, all my friends was was the ones that I kind of was around was really into villainy, a lot of them was into villainy, and, and I was up and coming. And uh, mm-hmm. at eighteen, I I was uh, selling a, bits and pieces of, of drugs and stuff like that in pubs and clubs. And I tried to go to work. I'd gone to work at the post office, uh, and I'd done that for a couple of years. But I was never, you know, my heart wasn't in it. You know, if, like, if one of my friends were going no. over the park on the afternoon, you know, I just didn't go to work. I was in the park and. You know, that's how it was. So that priority was always took precedence over everything else. I had no sense of self-care. You know, I had no sense of of, of what I was doing uh, detrimental to myself at the time. So at 18, I I chose to to become a heroin addict, and, and that sounds mad, you know, to make a choice to be a heroin addict. But you know, what had happened was a lot of people around that sort of time was getting in heroin and kind of flooding the streets of East London. That was back in... When, this, when was this, Steve? What been, year are we uh, talking about? In the early 80s. That would have been in the early 80s. Uh, so, yeah, so heroin had, had kind of just flooded the, the streets of East London and all of my friends was having a little dabble, having a little bit and where we used to go and buy a puff or, or have a drink, you know, some, sometimes then we'd get a bit of a brown powder. And uh, and I thought, I saw my friends and, and I, I felt inadequate against, you know, what they was doing and how they was. And they had Burberry Max on, you know, we young kids they had Burberry Max and cashmere jumpers and all of that kind of stuff. And, and that was just uh, important to me. So I thought, if I get uh, addicted to heroin, I'm going to have to go out and I'm going to have to do what these guys do. And, and you know, that's my, that was my solution. So, so you, you actually felt that throwing yourself into it would then force you to take action to actually do the things that you wanted to do in life in terms of finance. It would make you have to become financially yeah. successful or productive in order to Yeah, that, that, and that was a choice. I mean, that was a conscious choice. And, and as I look back on that stuff now, yeah. I can see that, you know, obviously what was going on inside of me was just, was had gone wrong a long, long time before. But I was making those sort of choices. There was absolutely no sense of self-care. There was no sense of self-preservation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all that mattered to me was being a part of. And everything that I wanted to be a part of had nothing to do with who I was or what was going on inside me. So I always mm. had to be looking outside mm. of myself to feel okay, you know. So, you know, it sounds like a mad, a mad choice to take, and it was a mad choice. But at the time, it made a lot of sense to me because it's just another solution. Yeah. I mean, addiction became a solution that I thought was going to help me out. You know. How, how quickly did that that sort of solution become problematic, and the 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 the, the heroin? Uh, uh, obviously took hold and, and, and you become, you said you become an addict, like, you know, talk us through, you know, the, the, what, what day to day would be, uh, you know, for, for a, a heroin addict in the, in the early eighties in, in, well, in East London. 
It, it was different. I mean, I, I always, you know, mainly managed to either sell drugs or I was out doing up to whatever I was up to. So I always kind of got my money and it didn't really impact me on that level for quite a while. And obviously what, what had happened was, you know, I started getting into, as my life was progressing and, and as these choices progressed, you know, I was, I was getting into bigger, bigger things. And, and, and certainly by, hmm. by the early kind of mid eighties, we was, we was uh, involved with uh, the Lebanese war was on. So there was the civil war in Lebanon was on. And we was involved with one of the groups uh, that was fighting that war, who was importing drugs, and, and we was on this end of it. So we was meeting, meeting them and giving them bags of money and taking bags of drugs and distributing the drugs. So most of the time throughout my addiction, I was okay. I had an abundance of drugs. I had an abundance of, of money. Not always. So you was able yeah, to fu- yeah, function it was just, with it, it was basically. just, you know, I, I took drugs to function. It was like breathing, really. And I, you know, it was, there was times where, where, you know, that things didn't come together or, or I was just on the floor. And, and, you know, even then, even when I was like scratching about looking for a bit of gear to, to not be ill, you know, to, to not be withdrawing, I always had yeah. this internal voice and, and it would always say to me, You'll you'll be back you'll be back up on top again in a, in a mate you know in, in a while mate so you know I just had that delusion you know I just couldn't couldn't go to the place where it hurt really I just couldn't. Do you th- do you think that's that inner inner survival uh, you know sort of instinct that you probably had from such a young age just that was that inner monologue of just like look you know you're going to be all right. Well, Push I think yeah. looking back now I think my. My belief systems and, and certainly my conditioning, I've, I've spoken about where I come from and all of that stuff conditions us. It makes us into not necessarily who we are, but we get choices, you know, whether they're unconscious and a lot mm-hmm. of them are unconscious. But that stuff makes us into, you know, how we develop our lives. And my, my core belief system was so long as I'm staunch, you know, this is why phoning the old bill at 14 went so against the grain. It was like my core belief yeah. system. So long as I'm staunch, it doesn't matter. Nothing can hurt me. You know, nothing can hurt me. And I went through. I went through life with that. And you know, when I, I got arrested and you know got raided and, and wound up, you know, having a, a, a big kind of tear up with the police and uh, and, and and really all, all day I had a bag, a bag of cocaine at the time when they come in through the door and. Uh, I fought them and, and they didn't get that bag of cocaine. They went up getting a tiny little bit of it. But it was always, you know, it didn't matter what they'd done to me. It didn't matter what came at me. It didn't matter who came at me. Uh, and I wasn't a tough, I wasn't hard as in like, you know, I have a fight. I didn't, you know, the last thing I wanted to do was have a fight. But I stood my ground uh, against life, really. And, 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 you know, I was a tough, a tough kid inside, you know. But I was hiding something, you know, I was hiding the part of me that I couldn't ever face, really, the part of me that just would have hurt so much that I couldn't go there, you know. Steve, like, you, you said you was functioning and, and, and you know, you, you obviously spoke about the, the, the deals that you were doing with, um, you know, the, the, the group of Lebanese people, like, importing, uh, you know, drugs from, from, from overseas. I mean, that's, you know, your, your ascent in, in feeling is obviously starting to, to really scale up and and at what point did the, the heroin addiction and villainy and 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 just the world that you're you know you said about being raided and things like that when did everything start to kind of unfold and 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 because up, you? because you, you can't you can't function like that forever in in them kind of you know, no, scenarios. When, when I was uh, when I was kind of in that, uh, I mean, there was a lot of emotional stuff. But I've kind of skipped. I had a, a attempted suicide at seventeen, down to a girl leaving me, and it was like, <clears throat> yeah, I was I was mm. deeply hurt. But once again, I couldn't I couldn't register yeah. that. I couldn't recognise it, but it was there. It didn't go away, and obviously, 
I'm mindful not to push you on 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 lots of things because ultimately I yeah, want people yeah, to go yeah, and buy yeah. the book. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, so, yeah, but, uh, but you know, I, I had I had a suicide attempt, so there was a lot of unresolved stuff that, that I couldn't couldn't kind of look at, and I couldn't. You know, I just functioned. I just carried on. I was like a like a machine. But I suppose you know I, when I got nicked that time, I was I was withdrawing in the cells, and you know it was it was quite bad. It was, but uh, oh, once again, you know, I, I wouldn't give them the time of day. You know, I literally wouldn't give them the time of day. So we went through that, and uh, you know, just just skip forward a bit. Really, is uh, I, I managed to. We was at, I was I was in jail for quite a period, waiting for a trial, and, and I, I kind of wound up sort of coming out of that okay. And uh, I was with a girl who I'd met by that time, and but no, you got I was, clean I at was this using point. still then. I was I was still using. Uh, I'd met a girl, and and she had a young child who was about five when I met her, and we had a baby on the way, and I just. Uh, Part of me, the big mo- part of me was a big motivation that I didn't want my child to come into this fucking mess. Yeah, this lunatic Around world that. that I lived in. And uh, so that, I was, I, what you did, Steve. I was 23 then. I was 20, 23, yeah. I mean, when I was running about with the old ones full of drugs and meeting the Lebanese, I was 21, 22. You know, that sort of age, I was you know, a young man, really. But <clears throat> so I'd, I'd met this girl and, and, I wanted to uh, try and do something different. And I tried, you know, I tried to control it. The only way I knew, I tried it my way, basically, to to, uh, <laughs> to stop using. But I, I didn't know, really. I didn't understand the depth of my problem. You know, I didn't under, I didn't grasp the depth of my problem. And I I attempted to, to kind of go to uh, NA, Narcotics Anonymous, and, and I, I managed to sort of stop using, but... I kept relapsing. I just, it was the behaviour. It was like I, I couldn't change me, basically. That's what I needed to change was me. But eventually I got to the point where my, I, think my, I think my spirit was dying. I think, you know, I, I certainly had the means to carry on at that point. I had the capability and I was still doing what I was doing, but it was like my spirit was dying and I just thought, fucking hell. You know, I can't, just another day of this is too much. And... I think at that point I surrendered and it was the, you know, the, the, the kindest thing that I'd ever done for myself in, in, in my entire life, really. It was just sort of gone, I need a bit of help here. And, and that was like the hardest thing that I'd ever done in my life was just to admit to, not to someone else, but even to me, that I needed a bit of help because where I come from, it was like, it's down to me, you know, it's, this is down to you and you'll get through everything. And that was always... I kind of get out of jail card, really. I thought, when it comes to the crunch, I can do whatever I need to do to, to get through. And uh, when it comes to addiction, uh, I, it wasn't like that. You know, I, I couldn't break away from it until I got to that point of surrendering and then I asked for help. And I went away to, uh, to a place up in Plymouth. Uh, this was in '87. 1987. I'd, I'd just done another little bit of jail, so I'd just come out of another short little sentence. And just, you know, the winds of change were blowing and I could just feel it within me, you know. I just, yeah, yeah, I just, I felt it within me and, and I kind of surrendered and went to this place. And, and when I got there, it was, you know, like uh, I, I took stock of my life. It was like, you know, the life that I was living and, and the way that I viewed my world was the reality that I'd created. And you said earlier on, Stu, about, you know, surrounding yourself with all these other people. And that's what I'd done. So I'd built this whole reality around how I lived and all the people in it, or most of the people in it, was the, the people that connected with me, how I lived. And it all became very normal. So mm. the reality I was living in was, uh, was, was what, what I created inside. And, and when I got to this place and... After about two or three weeks there, I started writing, writing about my life, you know, writing in black and white on a bit of paper. And then I looked back at it and it was like, fucking hell. You know, I did I, I heroin in my son's teddy bear in his bed because it was a smart move if the old bill come through. They'd never look in there. And when yeah. I saw that, you know, three weeks away from the madness, 
and 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 the reality of my life, how I was living, it started to sink in. It was like, oh shit, now I am in trouble now. Up to that point, I thought I'd get out of it. Steve, can I ask, like, you are emotionally quite intelligent and mature. Like, like we've only, I've only spoken to you for the last like twenty minutes, right? And the the conclusions and wisdom you have now, they're quite apparent. Like, you talk a lot about like unconscious decisions that you might have made in, you know, your observations of how you created your environment. Um, not saying that that makes you a victim and and taking ownership, still taking ownership of your own actions. All stuff that you hear from people who they either learn these sort of things via, via reflection, like you say, like your time in Plymouth, or was that like was that through talking to people? Have you is there ever like, at that point when you said I need help? Did you get help? Is there anyone in particular that sort of helped you with these things, or is a lot of these conclusions just from self reflection and taking a, a, a step? Yeah, back well, I suppose I mean I've got thirty five years of clean and sober, now, so we're going back quite a long way. So I had a lot of time to work on mm. on myself, really. But the initial mm. change was was just, I mean, what I needed to do in a nutshell was just not be me because everything that I knew. All my resources, everything that I'd used to get through life was killing me. So I just, you know, I simply had to learn how to not be me and let go of all of that. And that was my persona. It was terrifying. It was literally terrifying. It was like, you know, before I went into that place, I could have gone and spoke with anyone. I could have sat down, spoke with like a top criminal. I could have sat down and spoke with a president and been confident. When I come out of that place, I didn't even know how to have a conversation. It was like all of this all of this stuff that I built up to get through life was all false. You know, it was all compensations. So I'd never really, I'd never really developed. Your ego. You know, I just compensated yeah. all the way along. You know, everything that I lacked, I yeah. found something else to use. And so I was just, I went in there, I was just like fronts. I was like a suit of armour. And, and, and I had to pull that armour off really to, uh, to even get to the point where, I had half a chance and, and that's why I done. So, you know, that surrender was big. It was like letting go of not only the drugs and, and the environment, it was letting go of all who I thought I was and who I believed myself to be. So it was a deep level. And, you know, it was simply mm. to start with, you know, I just had to learn how to function on a very, very basic level, like having a conversation. We're having a great conversation now. I can remember coming out of that place and, Going to a, a meeting, and you know, a friend of mine took me out for a pizza after because you know I was, didn't, didn't have a lot of dough, and uh, and there was about a dozen people around the table having you know all, all the banter. I was thinking, I was sitting thinking, and I was just about to come into the conversation. I stopped myself. Fuck me, they stopped talking about that ten minutes ago. <laughs> and that was where I was at. It was like you know, I was just ah, uh, mm. excruciatingly painful just trying to be me because I'd never ever learned how to do that. So. No. You, you, you said you wanted to, you know, try and have half a chance. Like, talk about that that half a chance as as, as the years go on, as the eighties come to a close. I mean, fantastic to hear that you've you've been uh, clean and dry for for thirty five years. Um, that that recovery process of of literally starting again as a as a human being, like. What did you do? Did you get a job? Like what? What? Yeah, how, I did. How did it work? First, the first job I got was just a, a pal of mine had a, a, a an employment agency, so I was under the radar. I was working under a pseudonym at the time, actually, and uh, it's a funny story. But I was, yeah. So I'd been working this night shift at a bakery over in Leytonstone, and this was just before my daughter was was born and. And, and the guy had been calling me out over the tannoy. Mr. Roberts had been calling over the tannoy. And uh, I didn't pay any attention. I forgot my pseudonym, so I forgot I was Mr. Roberts. And uh, he was kind of charging out. And I was working on the loading bait. And he's gone, Mr. Roberts, Mr. Roberts, you, your wife's, uh, you know, she's, she's in labour. I've been calling you for 20 minutes. Fucking hell, you know, I forgot I was Mr. Roberts. So, so at, the early, at the beginning of that, it was still like, you know, it was a process to sort of change, you know, but... I'd started working and, and believe it or not, there was there was a time when I was on that loading dock, you know, and, and I, I kind of, I, I had this white hat that I had to have and this big long sort of uh, overall, white overall, you know, because it was a bread thing. And, uh, and, I, and I thought, fucking hell, if the chaps could see me there, you know, with all this gear on, 
And then, uh, and then I looked up at the, the sky and I saw the stars. And I just never felt freer in my life at that moment. All those little oh, bits and pieces, really, those little gifts just kept me going for all of that really tough stuff, you know. But, uh, I started to clean windows as well with my brother. He gave me a job when I was about four months clean. And, and from there, you know, I worked for him and just started to build my self-confidence, my self-esteem. You know, I had, like, my daughter was born by that time. Uh, she was quite ill, actually, a lung collapse when she was a baby, so it's in and out of the hospital. And, uh, you know, I'm just trying... Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. I want to just navigate life and I don't know where I am. All I know is I can't go back to where I've been. You know, that was that was like my my new sort of mantra, really, my new belief system. And so I just cannot go back there. So, yeah, so I, I went out and, you know, basically with, with a bucket and a window cleaning squeegee, I went out and, and, and I was working for him from sort of six to two. And then after two, I'd go out and knock on doors. And I got to the stage where I pulled in a bit of my own work. And then I had to take a big risk because I thought, you know, I've got potential. And, and I want to, I want to do better. I, you know, I know I can do better, but eighty percent of my income was coming from from my brother, and sort of twenty percent was coming from from my stuff. So I let go of my job with with him and uh, went out and started knocking on doors. And you know, to cut a long story short, I mean, there's there's a, there's a lot in that story. You know, there's a lot of change, there's a lot of overcoming mm. adversity, and there's a lot of that growth that you know. Uh, that needs to come as we progress as to be, you know, to move into our potential, to really live in, in our truth, you know. So there was a lot of stuff, but I built up a big business, you know, I built up a big business and, and I wound up, you know, becoming a millionaire really with, from a bucket and a window cleaning squeegee. What, what, it was, was, cleaning, what was the business so in then? I started cleaning that, windows. Cleaning. And then uh, from cleaning mm -hmm. windows, an opportunity come up. Uh, one of the, the contracts that I worked on, their office cleaner left. So I said, I can do that. We can do that. So I got an office cleaning contract and then, and then just built from gotcha. that. So all, all of it was just built. I just kind of bolted things on. And, and in the end, I, I wound up sort of refurbishing supermarkets. You know, I had plumbers, electricians, you know, subcontracting aircon guys. I had about 80, 90 cleaners working for me. And so I'd kind of learned really how to go to work from nothing, from being completely dishonest, and then how to uh, manage people. But more importantly, what the important uh, part of that was, I had the opportunity, because I was working this, this spiritual program of recovery, you know, and I was changing and I wanted to change the way that I was and I wanted to kind of find really me. So I had the opportunity to practice all this stuff in my business as I built a business. So I, I kind of allowed people to be who they was, you know. I didn't need to control them. Uh, in the beginning, I did, but eventually I kind of just let people do their jobs and, and let some spiritual principles come into my life. Not only that, you know, I've got these in my head, it's like I'm actually living this stuff. And, and I think that's where my success in life has come from, that 
you know, all the stuff that I've learned, I've just learned to integrate it. So, you know, basically, you know, not using drink or drugs is like you don't pick up the first drink or drug. So I've integrated that process into my life. And uh, for 35 plus years, I've not picked up the first drink or drug, you know, and all the other stuff that I've learned, you know, how to, to, you know, regain my emotional kind of intelligence, really. You know, I've learned that through learning to go through my pain. And, and the reason I wrote the book Lost in the Babylon was because, you know, I'd got to 48 years old. And by that time, you know, I had this successful business. I had a beautiful ass down here looking over the coast. And, you know, I've been 26 years with that girl that I met, you know, so we was married. A beautiful ass. On, on the face of it, you know, I had it all. I had everything. And, uh, but there was, there was something missing. There was still something missing. And uh, what was missing was really me. And the reason I wrote that book is because I found that I, and I, I see other people, we can go through our whole lives without really knowing who we are. And what, yeah. Yeah, And what happened for me was every now and then I'd get this like internal question come up and it was the question was, who am I? I thought, and who would I be without yeah. all of this stuff around me? So I knew who I was as, as a, a dad, you know, I was a good dad. I knew who I was as an employer. I was a good employer. As a husband, I was a good husband. You know, the marriage wasn't working, but I was still there. I had that staunch belief system in me that kept me there, you know, against all the odds. And, uh, you know, I kind of, in, in a way, like I'd done in my childhood, but in a much more healthy way, I'd kind of learned how to be all the things that I wanted to be. But I still really wasn't me. You know, so I'd gone this whole big arc in life, you know, from, from, from being completely lost, you know, to kind of finding myself. And I suppose mm. I kind of healed from the outside when I, when I got clean and I stopped crime, you know, and I learned that to start working honestly. And then, you know, I learned that, you know, start looking after myself, you know, physically better and looking after my family, showing love to my kids and stuff like that. Stuff that, you know, I... I kind of learned as I went along and I, I had more children. So as my ability had improved in those areas, I was able to sort of, you know, demonstrate more to, to different children at different ages, that, you know, nurturing and all the stuff that I never had. But it was like, you know, I'd kind of learned all that stuff and I'd learned how to give it to everyone else. But I'd never learned that I needed it. You know, I was always last in line. And, yeah. and, I, and I found that, yeah, only, only after I walked away from all this, which I did, you know, I, I kind of, in the end, I, I, I stripped it all away. And uh, and then when I... What, business, the business and the, the marriage? marriage yeah, and... I mean, I won't tell you. I mean, all the details in the book, and it's quite, you know, it's a lot of moving stuff in there. Yeah. It's like inspirational stuff. Yeah. And dark humour and, you know, this is a proper journey. And it's like, it, I've, <laughs> I've written it like, it's not like I'm telling it, I'm showing it. So you're on the page with me. Standing behind me, yeah. going through this experience, and that's the sort of feedback I've got, and that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to just demonstrate that we can go for our whole lives without really knowing who we are. And and that question, in the end, I had to answer it: Who am I? You know, who am I? What am I? What am I doing here? And uh, all the stuff that I'd done, as good as it was, and as with the right intentions, it was still I wasn't really me. You know, I still wasn't really me. Do you think? Do you think you've I, answered I, that question now? In the now? last ten years, since I mean, the, the book ends. Uh, I'm kind of sixty now, so that ended like uh, uh, just around about 2012 with a very, very dramatic, uh, a very dramatic thing, which I won't tell you about because it, it's uh, you know it's quite yeah sure it's quite powerful uh, scenario to the book. But, yeah, you know, basically, mm. I'd I'd. Uh, yeah, I, I, I stripped. I, I sold the business in the end because I was trying to save the marriage. And my wife uh, worked in the business, and it was like a battleground. And you know, I just. But I had that yeah. deep belief system because I come from a place of completely being yeah. fucked and no security, no family security. You know, no electric and gas. I built what I'd done was I built security. You know, I didn't realise what I was doing. It wasn't about yeah. the money for me. It wasn't about mm. I need more money to get this or that. No. It was like I had an internal clock that was just going, build security. This is what's going to make you okay. You know, yeah. you're going to be all right in life. And I built all this security, and, and to an extent I was all right because it was still external. You know, what I built was external. And obviously I had done a lot of healing, but, 
not deep healing, you know, I'd done superficial stuff really. And I was kind of compensating by, you know, showing love to my children. So that gave me what I, I kind of thought I needed, but it was like by, by default really, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm not rubbishing any of that because that's all part of life. But my particular journey through life was, you know, I didn't really know me. I didn't have a clue who I was, you know, and that sensitive boy that I told you about, you know, 48 years old, I, I hadn't cried, you know, I could cry, I could empathise with other people, I could hear yeah. a sad story or see something on the news and it would bring me to tears. But when it came to me, it was like, bang, the shutters were down and there was nothing there. So even after all this time and all this healing and all this energy going out into life, I was still, there was still something deep missing. And uh, I'm writing about it in the second book that I'm writing now, actually, which is The Cockney Guide to Enlightenment and that's what the podcast is about. And, and it's about Amazing. it's about sort of you know getting beneath the surface of, of what we think uh, is, is life and, and how we see life, but you know finding out what makes us tick, really finding out what's going on beneath that. You ever seen a read about Maslow's hierarchy yeah, of needs? Yeah, actually, I've done a podcast with the it's... fellow the other day, and he was talking about it. Yeah, because you're it's interesting. Have a look at it. Have a look at the pyramid because I think a lot of what you say, like because it's studied, like there's a hierarchy of what we have to go through in life to the obvious, urgent, immediate things like food and water and living day to day to the, almost like what you're saying, like building a security up to the point where there's like self-actualization at the top of that, which is that deeper being able to really deeply understand you as a person. And you've, you haven't done that in classrooms. You've just been thrown in the fucking shit and had to experience that. Like in, in such an, like such a, as you say, there's, there's, there's great successes there. There's true tragedy, a bit of darkness and, and, and fascination. I look forward to the, the podcast, mate. And what's the first the, book called again? Is that the, the first is, book is, is Lost in Babylon? Babylon? And that's, uh, that's Lost uh, in on Babylon. Amazon. So you can get it on paperback or uh, online. Well, what we'll do, Steve, is we'll put the the, the, the link in the show notes mm. of this podcast so people yeah, will go and sure. click that and buy the book. Um, and where, where are we at with the podcast at the moment? I know that you've uh, you've got yeah, your well, self in front of you. I'm, and, I'm uh, I know that's all brand new. You know, and, and once again, it's like, uh, it was like writing that book, sure. Uh, I mean, uh, obviously, being out of these sort of conversations. So, you know, I've, I've recorded a couple so far, some really good ones, and you know, we really get deep and we really get deep like, uh, you know, kind of how we're behaving in life. You know, we, the roots of it are back in our childhood quite often. And quite often we've never made that link. Yeah. You know? mm. So we just, you know, we're just kind of carrying on in life. And I'm not saying everyone's unconscious, but we kind of live an unconscious life really. And, and what, what's happened to my life Not when I stripped yeah. everything away, you know, it wasn't it wasn't by design, but it was obviously by a bigger design. I think. You know, I I got to find out who I really was and to align with a much much deeper truth that has kind of gave me. You know, I haven't got the need for the big business now. I haven't got the need for any of that stuff now. You know, I'm I'm aligned to this this truth and and, and sharing this experience with people because I, I you know it's not about what can I get anymore. It's about what can I give. You know, how can I, you know, I've uh, all this experience Amazing. in life and, uh, you know, not everyone's going to identify with, with my life, but I've had people sort of writing to me, so reading that Lost in the Babylon book, people writing and saying, you know, I've just been looking at my stuff around work and how I work and how I really don't take care of myself in work. And thank you for writing the book, you know, I'm kind of making some changes. But there's people in, in a corporate environment yeah. that are getting stuff out that yeah. book, you know, and, and other people. And I just think it's it's just... You know, I've, uh, my journey is, you know, I'm still learning who I am every day. I'm like learning something new about myself. And, you know, my beliefs are not fixed anymore. They're open. Uh, I'm aligning with, with a deeper truth and, and a deeper consciousness. And I haven't, I haven't sort of uh, spoke about the, the, the big epiphanies in there because there's some really like big spiritual moments in there that are in, incredible, you know, which, uh, yeah. but, but I think it's, you meant you mentioned your spiritual principles, Steve, and and that'd be really interesting, like within the book, to to dig into that and how what those epiphanies were and what how you applied that. You said to your business and as you built that security and 
yeah, you've moved on with your life as well. Yeah, a lot of that stuff is, is just, that. you know, is, is basically, you know, as I look back on my life, you know, I was, I was lost. I had no connection with me. So I looked for that connection outside everywhere. You know, that's what I was doing. You know, in a nutshell, I was looking for a connection. And uh, I started to, to, to find, to build a connection. And I had to, you know, have a look at my need to control things. And, and certainly in the business and, and in my life, you know, I needed to control because that was the only thing that I had any power over as a kid. And I didn't mm-hmm. even have power over that. But, you know, when I started to see that and, and see how it came out in my life, I mean, for instance, uh, I was in, in, in the, the house in, in Chalkwell, you know, doing some gardening one day. And my son was young at the time and, and he kind of, kind of come up to me, um, it's maybe it's a Saturday or something, and I'm, I'm doing some gardening. I'm in, you know, pulling the weeds out. And he's run up, Dad, Dad, he's asking me stuff. I go, hold on, son, son, let me do this, let me do this. So, you know, I had that drive and that, that, that drive, but it was a need to control. And, you know, it, although it was an asset, it was mm. detrimental because I didn't have time for him. You know, it was like yeah. I was so focused on getting what I needed to do done. But, you know, so I had to look at all of that stuff. I had to look at my own behaviours and start sort of, you know, having a real honest look at them and, and then finding a way to change them. You know, a lot of anger and stuff like that I had in the early days, you know, a lot of anger. And I had to learn how to look at that and, and find, uh, you know, rather than explode, because obviously I had a lot of repressed stuff, you know, I'd never dealt with. But rather than explode and it come out somewhere, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd kind of learn to sort of recognise it before it come up and turned into rage. And then I... I got like a little window of opportunity where I've got a choice and it's like, okay, I'm going to let this go and, and scream at this geezer or, you know, wind up out of the motor in the city wanting to have a fight with someone because they cut me up or something like that. In the early days, you know, I still had a lot of that yeah. going on. So I had to learn to look at all yeah. this stuff and then recognise that, you know, there's a mechanism where I, I have got a choice over my behaviour and, and I created this window of opportunity where I can see that choice. And it's like, rather than jump out of the motor, it's like, oh, let's let this go. Let's surrender this. So Amazing. they're the kind of spiritual principles I've learned to integrate in yeah. life. And, and you know, as I've, as a more I practice with those, the, the kind of better I've got with them, really. So it's, uh, but there's so many. And I've written about them all in the, in the book. And, and, and kind of the first book, it's just a journey. It's a story. And it's raw. And it's kind of fast moving. It's like an adventure. The second book I'm writing is going to be really about having a look at the detail of that and how, how we unpick all of this stuff that makes us who we are. You know, all our conditioning from childhood, from the generations before us, from society, everything that keeps us contained. You know, I want to, what I want to do is just help everyone to have a look at that gear and think, ah, you know, maybe there's a bit more to us than we thought. You know, maybe we got more potential yeah. than we thought we had. In, in, in regards to the, obviously the the the, the new books on uh, sorry the, the the first books on Amazon, uh, the podcast is 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 being obviously as you said being recorded at the moment and the books being written. If people want to keep up to speed with everything that, that that that's happening with you, Steve, is there a website? Is there a place that people can can kind of keep up to speed with everything? Yeah, you know, well, social, social media. media uh, my my uh, handle is at Cockney Profit. So it's no, no not, not Mr. Mr. Roberts, Roberts no. That's 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 one of the chapters, <laughs> title, one of the chapters in the book. But no, it's that Cockney Prophet, and it's not profit like uh, with, with uh, F and I, you know, it's Cockney Prophet as in the profit. So at Cockney Prophet, I'm on yeah, Instagram, yeah. I'm on uh, Facebook, uh, there's a YouTube channel with some stuff. I've got a short film. Did I send you that film? I don't know if I sent you that. I made a short about the book, which is so. definitely worth seeing. It's on YouTube. Well, again, if you can send me that and uh, and and any links, then we'll make sure that all of them we'll are within the, the, the show notes to this podcast, so people can go and explore yeah. everything uh, you've done. I'm mindful of, of, of time, and I know that Chris has got has got has got to go work and do yeah do do the boring stuff. If, if there's um, but if there's ways we can help you with a podcast, as well, Steve, questions yeah, that you I mean, have, really then obviously so we'd love to help you. you. Know, so grateful, and, and I think there's this synchronicity that happens in life, and. And when you're kind of putting your, your energy out there to do something, all sudden people like turn up. Stu phoned me. You know, obviously, a, a mutual friend had got in contact, but 
you know, this stuff is happening to me all the time and it just tells me that, you know, I'm aligned and, and I'm doing the right things and, uh, but definitely I'll be, I'll be on the phone to you for a bit of knowledge and a bit of help because, you know, today <laughs> I can ask for help, you know. It, I, I always looked at it as a weakness, yeah. you know. You never ask for help, but it's a strength, you know. So it's all of this stuff is turned strength. around and now you, when you live mm. authentically as yourself, you allow yourself to be who you are and, and all of a sudden it opens up a load of doors, you know. Absolutely. You can feel, you can... Yeah, I'm doing doing some men's uh, circle stuff, you know, some work with men and that, and, and that's really good, a bit of mentoring to people and obviously I help people in, in the fellowships. And, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm open, I'm accessible, and, uh, yeah, I'm really, yeah, looking forward to seeing where all this goes. And, and amazingly, I'm unattached to the results of it, which is incredible. What a way to live. Yeah, <laughs> Amazing, yeah. All your energy. Yeah, it's absolutely. No where it goes. Steve. It's... Uh, Mate, it's, it's, it's been really, really lovely for you yeah, to be. Yeah, it's been great, to, mate. To, what a story. And thank you so much for, for you know, being so comfortable with, 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 yeah. with vulnerability and, 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 and being so open with, with you know, with, with your journey. Um, it's, it's, it's a fascinating uh, chat and... And, and story and I hope that everybody uh, that has, has, has had this kind of brief overview of, 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 of your life uh, is, is now going to be inclined to go and, and, and get the book and, the book. and, and, yeah, and watch the short film and, and find out as much about uh, your, your, your fascinating life um, well, I'm going to press stop on the record now but don't go anywhere because I'm going to stick it back because I want to uh, okay, I want to chat to you some more thank Steve. you very much for inviting um, me cheers, on mate. there you know really really appreciate it and yeah, great opportunity. It's been lovely chatting with you both. Thank you, guys. Absolute pleasure. pleasure. Our pleasure, mate. Absolute pleasure. I'm going to press stop. It's a drunken soiree in the within. Chris and Stu present Our Core Listing, the podcast.